You guys sound great. And you guys sound great. Let's hear it for somebody. All right. When you sit in the front, you can hear all the voices coming down. So it's really, really kind of cool. All right. So my name is Ben. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm very excited to be here today. Uh, it's exciting to be a pastor in Maine at a mega church. Right? So I never thought I'd be a mega church pastor. But if you were here a couple of weeks ago, uh, Pastor Bill pointed out that we're all mega church pastors. So uh, we're not going to be in First Samuel today or Second Samuel. And that's not because I have a problem with Samuel. I, I like Samuel. My, uh, my youngest son is named Samuel. Sam, you want to come up and say hi? All right. We're going to go somewhere different today, and there's going to be some photographs behind me you're going to look at for just a second. These are just to demonstrate to you uh, that society is kind of messed up, okay? And if we can all agree to that, just for the sake of brevity, if we can agree society is messed up, if you can concede that point, good, all right, because you just shave like an hour off of the sermon. If, if I had to prove that... That'd be a problem. And we'd have to switch to Sermon B, which is the reason I'm no longer allowed to go to New Jersey. So we're going to skip that. All right. Uh, there are a lot of causes for the problems in society today, right? Lots of problems. You could probably think of several problems. The big problem that most of us, uh, most of you know about, society has rejected God. Okay, that's the big problem. It's not the one I want to talk about today. I want to talk about value. Value is the importance or the worth or the usefulness of something. Pretty simple, right? You all have things you value. Imagine you have a fire at your house, and everyone's out, everyone's safe, and you have enough time to go back into your house to get one thing, to retrieve one item. That's what you value the most, right? For me, it's a photograph on my nightstand, a picture of my wife. She has a white shirt on, her glasses are clipped on. I think the Ray-Bans are real cool looking. She looks pretty, but I know the situation in which the photograph was taken, and it was a stressful situation. She was exhausted, and I can't show you the picture because she would destroy me if I put it up on the screen. She hates it, but it's my prized possession. It's the one thing I can't replace, it's my possession. She's not my possession. That photograph is. And right underneath it is my sock drawer with my gun, so I'd probably just grab my gun too. Those two things. Right? The photo. But I don't want to talk about value in general. I want to talk about your value. And your value and all of your value, our value as human beings. I want to talk about how society values you versus how God values you. And I want to start with an illustration. I'm going to read two quotes. They'll be up on the wall behind me. You can read along. I'll go fast. The first one is from Stephen Gold. He's a professor. He was a professor for a long time at Harvard. He was an evolutionary biologist. Um, paleontologist, scientist. Here's how Professor Gold explains humankind. The human species has inhabited this planet for only 250,000 years or so, roughly 0.0015% of the history of life, the last inch of the cosmic mile. The world fared perfectly well without us for all but the last moment of earthly time, and this fact makes our appearance more like an accidental afterthought than the culmination of a prefigured plan. We are here because one odd group of fishes had a peculiar fin anatomy that could transform into legs for terrestrial creatures. We are here because comets struck the earth and wiped out the dinosaurs, thereby giving mammals a chance not otherwise available. We are here because the earth never froze entirely during an ice age. 
We are here because a small and tenuous species arising in Africa a quarter of a million years ago has managed so far to survive by hook and by crook. We may yearn for a higher answer, but none exists. This explanation, though superficially troubling, if not terrifying, is ultimately liberating and exhilarating. Now, it may be just me, but I wasn't liberated and exhilarated after I read it. Anyone was exhilarated? In other words, we're here by pure chance and time. Time and chance. Richard Dawkins is the next one. He's also an evolutionary biologist. He was a professor at Oxford. Uh, he wrote a book called The God Delusion. You may have heard of that. He would probably best be described as an angry, militant, anti-Christian atheist. And he would probably agree with three or four of those. Uh, here's what he wrote about the explanation of humankind. We are survival machines, robot vehicles blindly programmed to preserve the selfish molecules known as genes. Our genes made us. We exist, uh, we animals exist for their preservation and are nothing more than their throwaway survival machines. The world of the selfish gene is one of savage competition, ruthless exploitation, and deceit. Sounds kind of like my last job in New Jersey. We are machines built by DNA whose purpose is to make copies of the same DNA. This is exactly what we are for. We are machines for propagating DNA, and the propagation of DNA is a self-sustaining process. It is every living object's sole reason for living. This is the stunningly simple but elegant explanation of our very existence and the existence of every creature on the planet. So in terms of human value, not terribly uplifting, right? These two men, and, and a few more like them, are largely responsible for why society believes what it believes today. And in today's post-Christian society, human value is subjective, that means it changes from person to person and from place to place. And it's really easy to prove. That's why in some places, abortion is okay. And in some places, abortion is not okay. That's why in some places you can euthanize your grandparents. You can put them to sleep permanently. In some places, that's illegal. That's why you can go to the Dominican Republic and adopt a child for around $300. And when you do it here in America, it's tens of thousands of dollars. So the question then becomes, how do people determine value? How do they determine value? Because the, the professor might value people who are intellectual. And the bank may value people who can repay their loans, who have money. And the military may value people who are fast and strong and, and can respond to problems quickly. And the point, here's the point, and here's the problem. In today's post-Christian society, there is no absolute value placed on humans. There's no one standard. There's no fixed standard. There's no bottom line. Well, rather, that is the bottom line. So if I'm throwing you off with the post-Christian language, that's on purpose. Uh, post-Christian means that as a society, we are no longer primarily influenced by Jesus Christ. Okay, and that's not, that's not conjecture. That's fact. Barna's most recent poll identified 
the number one most post-Christian city in the United States of America, and it's Portland, Auburn, Maine. Number one. And eight out of the top ten most post-Christian cities in the United States are in New England. And the number one region, the number one most post-Christian region in the United States of America is not Berkeley, Southern California, it's not the Pacific Northwest, it's New England. The idea of a post-Christian society is not coming here. It is here. It's already here. And in the words of Stephen King, who wrote a, a series, the Gunslinger series, or the Dark Tower series, was fond of saying the world has moved on. And he didn't explicitly say this was in reference to Christianity, but it's, it's in there. The world has moved on. Society has moved on from Christianity. And you know, if Stephen King says it, it's true, right? Jesus said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And when he said that, he wasn't saying, the words that I say are true. He was saying that. But he was saying so much more. He's saying, I was here at the beginning. I made all of this. I made you. I know you. I know everything that's going to happen to you. I am the answer to your questions. I'm the only way that you move onward and upward from here. I am your only hope. I am truth. And society has rejected that. Society says, no thanks. You know, we'll decide what's true and we'll decide what's valuable. We'll take care of that by ourselves and we'll do it without you, God, and without your Bible. Here's the problem with that. When man decides what is valuable based on his own understanding, the results are relative. What does that mean? It means there's no standard. There's no foundation. It's not fixed. That means human values change. And when human values change, there is no human value. That is the worldview that we find ourselves in today. Haven't you wondered why so many people you know in your family and your friends and your circles and at work devalue themselves so much? They're confused about their value. They're confused about their worth and their image and all these things that we see on TV and society. This is why. This is exactly what society teaches us. So what are we talking about? What are we doing this for? Look, if everyone has their own worldview based on personal or group preference, who gets to determine whose worldview is true? Who gets to determine human value? Do I? Do you? I think we all know the answer, right? The answer is whoever's in power at the time. They get to determine human value. Whoever's the, the richest, whoever's the most influential, whoever's in power, that's who gets to decide. And, and your opinion doesn't really matter because your job is just to have genes and to make more genes and to protect those genes. That's it. Nothing else. That is your value. 
in society today. And if you don't like it, doesn't matter. And by the way, if this sounds fanciful or exaggerated or crazy, this is precisely what is taught in our schools today and in our universities. That is your value. Gene production. Okay, so how could this happen? Maybe you're wondering how in the world could this happen? We talk about this uh, quite a bit in here, but how could this happen? This happens because society rejects God's truth. That's it. That's the simple answer. It's the easy answer. Here's how God might answer that question if you were to ask him, what happened? He would refer us back to the Israelites and he would say, my people did not listen to my voice and Israel did not obey me. So I gave them over to the stubbornness of their hearts to walk in their own devices. Does that sound familiar? Maybe it sounds familiar to you because PB has been beating us on the head with this for months, right? This is the story of Samuel. This is the story of the Israelites. Uh, I don't know if you remember, they said, you know what, God, we love everything you, you did for us and we appreciate it. But what we really want is we want to decide who our ruler is going to be. So give us a king. We want Saul. And they got Saul, didn't they? Do we not hear every week what is befalling the Israelites? What's the next calamity? And we're going through this and they're just continuously reaping the consequences of this type of decision. And this is what is happening in our society today. God is turning us over to our own devices. And we are reaping what we have sowed. And we are watching it play out every time we turn on the news. Every time we go to Walmart, you see it. It's everywhere. When God turns you over to your own devices, it is never, ever, 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 ever good for you. Amen? Does that make sense? King David's son, Solomon, the wisest man in the history of history, might answer that same question this way. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. What we see today in society, it's shocking, right? Again, go to Walmart for 20 minutes. It's shocking. But it's not, it's not new. It's not new to God. And it's not news to God. And again, like Pastor Bill has pointed out, we may be in a reprieve, but it's not going to last very long. Right? Things are probably going to continue to decline. It seems like the trend is that things are going to continue to decline. So what does that mean for us as followers of Christ? It means we need to rely on God more. It's pretty simple. Rely on God more. Find our value in him, not in society, because society is fickle. Society's viewpoints change. God does not. That's what we need to do. So that is the world's approach to human value. Genes. Now let's look at God's approach. And here's what I love. God is so amazing. He tells us everything we need to know about human value in the very first chapter of the very first book in the Bible. And I think this is why, because we all plan to read the Bible every year, right? We get a Bible, like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start, man, I'm going to read through the whole thing. And the first chapter, we read what I'm about to read to you. And then by the time we get to, you know, a little bit past Exodus, we get to Leviticus and Deuteronomy or Numbers, we're done. 
All right, we're already done. That's it for the year. So God's like, look, I know you're going to at least read the first chapter. I'm going to make it count. God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, birds in the sky, and over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. He created them. I bet you've heard that verse a hundred times. But in this passage... At the very beginning of our story lies the foundation of human value. The foundation of human value. It's right there. You see, according to God and his word, it doesn't matter who you are or who your family is. It doesn't matter where you came from. It doesn't matter how rich you are, how smart you are, how awesome your business is or your truck or your car. It doesn't matter if you had good grades or bad. It doesn't matter if you've been addicted or been in jail. It doesn't matter if you've cured a disease or saved a busload of children. None of that matters in terms of your human value. What does matter is that each one of you were made in the image of God. That is what matters. And it's so important to God that he says this. And he says things like this many times. I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. Whoever sheds human blood by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. You are valuable to him because he made you in his image. You're a reflection of him. And nothing else is a reflection of him like you are, each one of you. James, the brother of Jesus, referencing human value, said, With the tongue, we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. And this verse reminds us that how we treat and value other people is often how we treat and value God. Slightly convicting, right? If you've read James before, it's all about convicting you. You're saved? Good. What are you doing Don't tell me about your faith. I want to see your works, right? That's what James talks about. Don't impress me with your words. I want to see what you do. And here he's saying the way we treat and value others, it's a reflection of how we treat and value God. According to God, you are valuable for one reason, one reason only, because he made you in his image. That's it. Nothing else. That's it. You're not like fish. You're not like birds. You're not like animals. You're not like angels. You're a special, unique, specific creation. You are something entirely new, something entirely different. And you're the only one out of all of those things that's made in God's image. It's a blessing. Even the angels are not as blessed as us. Alexander Pope, an 18th century poet, said this. You've probably heard it before. Fools rush in where angels fear to tread. And and what he was saying, basically, was people make dumb decisions, okay, especially fools. And he's right. But in a way, he's right on a different level. I talk to God like I'm talking to you right now. I don't preach to him, but I talk like I'm talking to you guys. He's like my, my father, my brother, and my king, all wrapped into one. And I have reverence for him. I'm terrified in his presence. But I'm bananas about him also. And I rush to him any time without even giving it any thought. Angels wouldn't dare approach him like that. 
Imagine you're Skyping your boss from Washington. It's official. It's important, you know. And all of a sudden, your toddler runs up butt naked and waves in the camera, right? We, trying to be funny, but we approach God with reckless abandon. And if you do this, you know what I'm talking about. Angels wouldn't dream of ever doing that. That's because we have this personal relationship with God that transcends all understanding. Isn't it fantastic that we can do that? So if you're depressed or you've been abused or you've been hurt or you're mean or you're hateful or you're rotten, if you're confused, if you're completely lost, if you're anywhere on that spectrum, none of those things change or diminish your value. None of them. If you are made in the image of God, and as far as I can tell, everyone in here is. There was a kid in a Pokemon costume this morning. I don't see him here. You have value. You have value. If you're a human being, you have value. You're more valuable than the Mona Lisa. You're more valuable than the Rocky Mountains. You're more valuable than the Patriots organization. It's close. You're more valuable than the animals, even pets. You are more valued. You are valued. You have value. God values you. So what do we do with this? Well, it's pretty easy. What we're going to do is we're going to do three things. I'm going to help you with the first one. It'll be very easy. You're going to say the words, I am valuable to God. Now you have to say it out loud. I'm going to count to three. Here's why it's important. You have to help me out here because I don't want to stand before God whenever it's my time and have God say, you know, Benjamin, I gave you what to say. You had one job. Have them repeat this. Why didn't you make them repeat it? So if you do terrible, I'm going to have you do it again until we, no one leaves until we all get, we get it down. Okay, so I am valuable to God. I think four of those are one syllable words. It's very easy. On three, I am valuable to God. Ready? One, two, three. I am valuable to yes, you are. Yes, you are. Acknowledge that. Own it. Don't forget it. Don't let anyone tell you any different ever. Don't ever let anyone tell you anything different. You are valuable to God. And if you can't acknowledge that, then God's word and God himself is not good enough for you. And you have a big problem. And you need to pray, you need to read the Bible, and you need to come see us so we can help you through that. You have to get this. That's the big idea for today. You are valuable to God. That's what this whole thing is about. Thank you. (laughs) Number two, realize that no one is common. No one is unremarkable. C.S. Lewis said, you ha- there are no ordinary people. You have never met a mere mortal. And he said, it is a serious thing to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature, which if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Everyone is made in God's image. And everyone you talk to and interact with will one day either be glorified in heaven or paying forever in hell, but these are glory, these are these are eternal creatures. We are all eternal. And we should treat people like they were made in God's image, like they were important. Number three, realize that the dignity 
realize that dignity and self-worth are gifts from God. And he extends that to all of his children who trust in him. That's why Paul says, I am the foremost of all sinners. I'm the worst sinner out of all of them. And for that very reason, I was shown mercy. That in me, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. God has decided to grant you grace if you trust in him. Refusing that grace for any reason is akin to saying that God's grace is worthless. It's akin to saying that God is wrong. It's akin to saying you know better than God. And it's all, that's always an, an ill-advised decision. All right, let me wrap this up. I'm going to show you, I'm about to show you guys something that you will never see again and that I don't see too often. It's a $100 bill in my wallet. I usually feel pretty good if I have a few loose ones and, and a five. Now, let's just say, I, I, I know that uh, none of you need money and that none of you uh, need any help, but let's just say you did, and I was going to give you this $100 bill. And let's just say that you would accept it, okay? Uh, what, if I, what if I told you that the Treasury Department reports that every $100 bill in circulation has trace amounts of cocaine on it? Okay, it's true, by the way. Now, given, and usually it's right on the face, in this case, it's a Ben Franklin, it's on the face of the individual on the bill, given that there are trace amounts of cocaine on this, is there anyone in here who would at this point not accept a $100 bill? Okay, and just for the record, I can't give you this. It's not mine. I noticed everybody perked up. Now, whoop, I dropped it. Great. You know, they say that carpets are riddled with bacteria and mold spores. So what I just did basically is this thing is covered with bacteria and mold spores. So is there anyone now who wouldn't accept this $100 bill? No. Hmm. You guys are going to make me play hardball, huh? All right. Let me crumple this up. And I will stomp it, and I will drive it into the dirty carpet. All right. Now, after all we've been through, is there anyone at this point who would not accept, if I just slung it out there, is there anyone who would throw it back to me, who would just refuse to accept the $100? Wow. Well, there's a couple. I'm going to be throwing it. If I was going to throw it, I would aim it towards you guys. It seems like a valuable lesson to me, because no matter what I did to this money, you would still accept it. That's because at no point did this $100 bill lose its value. It never lost its value. It's still worth $100. I dropped it. I crumbled it. I ground it into the floor after stomping on it. It's practically dripping with cocaine and bacteria <laughs> and mold spores. And you still want it. We'll still take it. How many times in our lives have we been dropped? And how many times have we crumbled? How many times have we been kicked and stomped and ground into the dirt by the decisions we make and by things other people do to us? 
if you think that you are not worth anything, if you feel like you have no value, you are wrong. No matter what happens to you, no matter what has happened to you, no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done or how rotten you have been to others, you still have value by the God who created you. That is God's view of human value. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, you do value us, and we only know that because you tell us that explicitly and implicitly throughout everything you do and everything you've said and everything you've created. And we still rebel against that truth. We still want to do things our way. We still want to devalue ourselves. Don't let us do that, Lord. Help us to just incorporate this one idea that you love us, you value us, and that's, the, that's really the most important thing for us to leave here with today is that you value us. And it doesn't matter what society thinks. It doesn't matter what they say because you value us, because you made us in your image. We're a reflection of you. Thank you for that truth, Lord. May we latch onto that and cling to that always and may we never, ever struggle again with our value. In Jesus' name, amen.